Go in your Bible to Acts chapter 6, if you would. Acts is giving us, among other things, it's giving us a history of the early church. And we've seen a lot of things together so far. Uh, we've seen the mission and, obje- and directive of the early church as given by Jesus himself in the first chapter. We've seen multiple attempts by the enemy at derailing the early church. We've seen early victories. We've seen a lot of growth. We've even seen examples of good behavior and bad behavior. And as chapter 6 comes to a close that we'll get through today, uh, and then opens us up into chapter 7, we see another one of those good examples in the person of Stephen. But as you who know the story know, his positive example isn't just one of, of rainbows and roses, is it? The persecution that began with just verbal warnings and a little bit of jail time escalated to floggings and would soon, especially for Stephen, escalate much more. Our text for today shows us really what I think is the beginning of the final day of Stephen's life. And so we're in chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. We'll read these together and then we'll pray. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the exact... Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him. All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the good example that Stephen is. And even in thanking you for that, we recognize that this day may not have gone how he intended or he thought. Maybe it did. Lord, I don't know. But uh, we, we, we talked about this earlier this morning that we oftentimes get deluded with the desire for entertainment and comfort, and it, it keeps us from really obeying what you would have us to do. And so as we look upon the life and next week the death of Stephen, our, my hope And prayer is that my life and the lives of my brothers and sisters are so impacted by uh, the Spirit of God working through him that we would go and do likewise and leave the results up to you. So we thank you for this, uh, this man. We thank you for his example. We thank you for his message. 
And I pray in a, in a, a culture that is antagonistic towards the Bible that we would be bold as he is and reflect Christ as he did. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you remember last week, we're talking about, um, as Jason rehearsed with the kids, we're talking about the seven men who were selected to serve in the church. And they were referred to as deacons. Um, they were recognized by the people, and they were installed by the apostles by laying hands on them and praying. And you remember, it wasn't because they were super good at organization. It was because of their character that the church recognized them, and they were installed. The sharing of leadership with the apostles and the deacons really freed each group to dedicate themselves to the ministries that God had called them to. Remember, we talked last week about kind of that principle of, of okay and best and how that's still something that we need wisdom and discernment on. Because of, I think, because of their obedience to the Lord and their delegation of leadership there, look at back at verse 7. It says that the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Now, obviously, we understand that that was because of the word of God increasing, and yet that happened as a result of good leadership in the church. It's a good thing. Doing what God calls you to do faithfully and God, in a godly way aids in the unity of the church, and that increases the gospel being shared, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that we can see in Jerusalem here, but... Man, it's, it's a beautiful thing that we see happen in our community. And I pray that our churches are going out and seeing this happen regularly. They're unified together under the authority of Scripture and of Jesus. And then we go out and boldly proclaim his message. Back to verse 8. This continues with Stephen's story. He was one of the seven that was selected. And it gives us a description of him. It says, Stephen, full of grace and power was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So this is there's still exciting stuff happening. And uh, through God's people, it says that in verse 5, Stephen is described as full of faith. So people that are full of faith, God is using to have incredible things go on among the people. They were filled with the Spirit. Now, Stephen's name uh, means garland or crown. This was important and maybe more significant to them simply because a civic leader who served the people well was usually given um, a crown of some kind or garland as a crown. You often probably heard that in some of those early Olympic games in Rome, the victor would receive a crown, oftentimes a garland crown, crown and it was to symbolize their victory unironically, because this was God's doing, by the end of the day, Stephen will have both served well and earned a crown. It's a fitting name for a guy who uh, shows us here in Acts chapter 6 and 7 how to live well, but it also really shows us how to die well, doesn't it? What we read about in these verses in throughout the 60 verses of chapter 7 Probably all just takes place in a few hours' time. They're, they're, these are Stephen's last moments of life. And verse 8 tells us that Stephen was full of grace and full of power and doing great wonders and signs among the people. Acts chapter 2 
verse 22 uses very similar language in describing Jesus. It says, Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. So these may have been Stephen's last moments, but on that day, Stephen lived as Jesus lived. And in, in many ways, that day he died like Jesus died. The phrase full of grace is found only in one other place in the New Testament, and that's in John chapter 1. Verse 14, guess who it's describing? Not Stephen, it's describing Jesus. The Holy Spirit could use Stephen in this way because his character reflected that of Jesus Christ. But don't forget, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, don't forget what Jesus promised his followers there. He said, you will receive power when the Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So in reality... The power that Stephen displays in especially chapter 7 doesn't come from himself, does it? That power comes from the Spirit. Peter made this clear over and over again. People were trying to praise him for healing people. Uh, Later on in the book of Acts, they'll do the same thing for Paul. And these guys say, hang on a second. This power to do this does not come from me. I am a man like you. Peter and John said, we don't have silver and gold, but we have something else better to give to you. And that's the gift of the Spirit. That's how they were able to preach and have this kind of response. That's how they were able to heal and cast out demons and things like that. Uh, Commentator Kent Hughes reminds us, Christ's power enables Christians to do what they ought, And to be who they ought. It's the power of Jesus. And we see this play out in the next few verses. You can look at verse 9. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But then look at verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. We're not talking about Stephen's spirit here. We're talking about the spirit. That's why most of your English translations is capitalized. Spirit is. Remember, Stephen was chosen by the church as a deacon because some of the Greek-speaking people there and the widows specifically felt like they weren't being treated fairly. Now, there's, this is interesting because there's evidence to, for us to believe that Stephen himself was likely a Greek-speaking Jew in the church. Or the ESV says a Hellenist there. This, we talked about this last week. That wasn't a popular group in Jerusalem because this was usually the, the, the group of Jews that had left the town. Maybe they had been taken captive and taken outside and they just kind of dwelt outside of town. They learned other languages. And so the purists in the town of Jerusalem looked down on them. Certainly the religious council did because it was made up of a bunch of Sadducees and Pharisees and the religious religious elite. They already thought they were better than people. And so they really looked down on them. So the fact that verse 9 mentions uh, five different groups of Jews um, is interesting and it's it's likely that they all had their own synagogues. I think that the King James Version kind of uh, translates it to help us understand that better. Uh, but these are these are people that just weren't really from around there, if you know what I mean. And so we see 
there's, there's division that could run deep here. You've got people from all different backgrounds. They're Jews. Some of them think higher than the others. But they're Jews, but they're all now blended together in the church. And so there's, there's division that runs deep. And it could have caused a big time unity issue in the church. And so that's why last, uh, our last time together, we talked about the, the unity building of the deacons. And that was part of their job was restoring unity there. That's a great thing. It, it makes the fact that Stephen may have been one of the Greek speaking Jews that much more incredible that they would then select him to be over that delegation of food distribution. It's just neat the way that the spirit works here. And here, delegates from these groups, they hear what Stephen is saying, they see what Stephen is doing, and so they send delegates from their, their groups to dispute with them, to, to argue with him, to try to talk him down or uh, embarrass him in front of the others, to shame him and get him to stop speaking. They Surely they want to know why he's saying what he's saying about Jesus, how he's able to do these incredible things, and on what authority he's teaching and doing it all. Why are you doing this? How are you doing this? What authority are you doing this? But verse 10 says, they could not withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he was speaking. So Stephen's opponents were no match for him because it wasn't Stephen who they were contending with. Who were they arguing against? The Spirit of God. Stephen was an inspired man when he stood before his opponents and he declared to them the words of God because he was filled with God's Spirit. You know what? Jesus said it was going to be this way. Back in Luke chapter 12, 11 and 12, Jesus said it. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about what you should say, how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The Spirit speaking through Stephen. Later, in Luke 21, Jesus tells this to his disciples. He says, they will lay hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. But hear this. This is what Jesus says. He says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how, you, how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. This, this is Stephen, right? That's what's very going on with Stephen. The Spirit was giving him wise words to speak, and no one could oppose him. No one could contend with him. Back in the early 1900s, there's a pastor named J.R. Miller. He said this, If we go out in Christ's name to speak for him, there will always be one with whom no man can withstand. If only we remembered this, it would make us brave and resistless in speaking the truth. Does that describe the church today? Because if we only remembered this, I agree, this would make us brave and irresistible in speaking the truth. Look at verse 11. 11 through 14, that same group that falsely accused Jesus of blasphemy 
delivers Stephen up the same way. They lie. They just tell lies. Men filled with self were no match for a man filled with the Spirit. Behind the scenes, these guys are are um, instigating people. They're stirring up and convincing others to tell lies about Stephen and his teaching. And the first criticism in verse 11, I think, reveals the condition of their hearts. It says, we have heard him speak blasphemous words about Moses and God. Now, I don't know that this is significant in the order, but I think it might be because it seems that in their defiance of truth, these Jews were putting Moses and his law above even God himself because they, they list him first. They're, he's saying bad stuff about Moses and God. Moses seems to have become their ultimate, or at least they were twisting the things that he said for their own purposes. If you look forward in chapter 7 in verse 37, Stephen will go on to remind them of Moses' proper place about how he told the Israelites that God would raise up a prophet like him from among their brothers. So he was reminding the Jews that even Moses understood someone greater was coming. The author of Hebrews spends a lot of effort in convincing the Jews reading that Jesus was greater than Moses. You cannot read Hebrews and come away with any other understanding. Jesus is greater. Moses was good. He was useful. God used him in great ways, but Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. God gave the law through Moses, but they didn't listen when Jesus told them that he didn't come to do away with the law. What did Jesus come to do? Fulfill it. He came to fulfill the law. This is what the apostles, and I believe this is what Stephen, were preaching that got these guys all upset. But these Unbelieving Jews were so fixated on works as the path to righteousness, right? Obeying the, the, the law that the mention of righteousness received by grace through faith seemed hostile to their system of beliefs and to their way of life. And so they stirred people up against him. It, it really shouldn't be a surprise to us that they would stoop this low because they did the same thing to Jesus. Very likely, many of these same men sitting on the same council did the same thing to Jesus. And then we see them stoop this low here. They were angry with Stephen. They were angry enough with Jesus to kill him. They're angry enough here with Stephen to kill him, all in hopes that it would put an end to preaching that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Faith in him is what we need to be saved now. Grace-based righteousness on the basis of belief in Jesus Christ and his finished substitutionary and fully atoning work on the cross still ruffles feathers today, doesn't it? The gospel may be the message that leads to persecution, but guys, it's the only message that leads to eternal life. And so we have to share it. Verse 12 shows that this, this tactic that they used worked as they intended and the people and the elders and the scribes, they, they grab hold of Stephen. Now, we're not talking about like, hey, will you please come with me kind of a thing. They're going in there grabbing him and taking him before the council in anger. Again, this is the same council that had previously ruled against Peter and John and the apostles. It's the same council that ruled against Jesus some time before. And you can just imagine from their perspective 
they're sick and tired of having to deal with these Jesus followers. These guys talking about Jesus, they won't stop. They've done everything in their power up to that point to get them to stop, and they won't listen. They won't take a hint. They're sick and tired of having to deal with them. And they've been unsuccessful so far. The miracles, the impassioned teaching kept the people's attention up until that point. And so they needed to find a way to get the people on their side. Because if we found out a couple weeks ago, they were jealous of the apostles' attention. And they, they, didn't want to, they didn't want to get people to turn against them. And so they went and got them quietly at that point. So how do you get the people on your side? Well, it's the same tactic that a lot of people use today. They lied. And they lie. And they lie again. Look at verse 13. They say that Stephen never ceases to speak against this holy place and the law. And that they have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the custom that Moses delivered to us. That's verse 14. So this was a serious accusation in their eyes. This was a big deal for them. Nothing would have been more sacred and precious to the Jews than their temple and the law. The temple was the holy place, right? The, the sanctuary of God's presence. The law was the holy scripture. These are the revelation of God's will, uh, the mind of God, if you will. So because the temple was God's house and the law was God's word, to speak against either of those things would be to speak against God himself, or as they call it, blasphemy. And that's what they're accusing Stephen of. Do you remember what they accused Jesus of? The same thing. The question is, were, were these kinds of things really the kinds of things that Stephen was preaching and teaching? They, they kind of were. We'll get to that in a minute. But what's, what's easier than telling the truth to get people on your side? To lie, right? We've, we've said that. Popular opinion, we've seen in the last several years especially, can be pretty easily shaped, can it? If you have the right news outlet and to get media across, you can convince people of a lot of weird and wrong things. And of course, they didn't have some of the stuff we have now, but they had word of mouth and they used it. And so they, they shaped the opinion of the people around. Remember, the same crowds that praised Jesus at his triumphal entry were many the same who called for his crucifixion and the release of Barabbas. And the same crowd that was enamored with the apostles and all the great works that they were doing just days before now seemed to cry out against Stephen. And believe it or not, some Jews will use the same accusation against Paul later on in Acts, in Acts chapter 25. They'll say he's blaspheming against God and, the, and Moses and the temple and those sorts of things. And again, all of this is happening the way that Jesus said it would happen. He said it would go this way. What they're accusing Stephen of saying was true to a degree, wasn't it? Because if he was preaching the same things that Jesus was preaching, they likely heard some of the same things that Jesus said. What did Jesus say about the temple? He says in, uh, I think it's in, in John 2, he says, you can tear this temple down and I'll build it back up. I'll raise it in three days. Well, what was he talking about there? Did he really want them to tear it down? 
that's not what he's referring to. He's saying, I will take the place of the temple. I'm going to die. And in three days, I'm going to be raised and I'm going to take the place of the temple. He would do this by dying for sin once and for all and by rising from the dead to reign as everlasting priest and Lord of glory. And that's what he was trying to communicate. He was saying, in essence, when Jesus was saying, when I die, the temple system dies. Because Jesus was the last sacrifice for sin. Jesus is now the priest and the go-between with God. He is the presence, in fact, the radiance, Hebrews tells us, of God and his glory. So Jesus was was indeed saying that the temple was finished. And so Stephen is probably saying very similar things, and this is probably why they were so angry with him. John chapter 2, verse 22, Jesus, it says, When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered, right? So the light is turning on. His disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. They got it at that point. They said, oh, this is what he meant about the temple. And so they're going out and saying these same things. This is, would have been part of what they were talking about. And for men whose hearts were stuck on pursuing righteousness through works of the law, Jesus' words and now Stephen's words sounded to them like blasphemy. But it wasn't blasphemy because Jesus actually accomplished everything he said he came to do. He did rise from the dead. He is the go-between. He is our high priest now. We don't need those same systems set up because we have grace through Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 reminds us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? This Jesus dwelt among us. Verse 14 of John chapter 1, he says, And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Do those words sound familiar from Acts chapter 6? Same way Stephen's described. Full of grace and truth. John chapter 1, 16 and 17 goes on, and I think this is the real clincher here. He's, John says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's the revelation that Stephen is preaching that these men's hearts didn't want to hear. What Peter and Jesus and John and the apostles and now Stephen were preaching is the glorious message of the gospel itself. The law is useful in revealing our sin and our need for a savior, but the gospel goes so far as to say that Jesus is that savior. And that's why they were mad. Now, what exactly were they mad about? Well, these things are, I think, on the second page of your notes. Stephen surely has been teaching these things. Jesus was greater than Moses. So these, they would have heard as blasphemous words against him, against Moses. Stephen was teaching that Jesus was God. Blasphemous words against God, they thought. Jesus was, or Stephen was teaching that Jesus was greater than the temple which would have been blasphemous words against the holy place, as they thought. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, which would have been blasphemous words against the law in their mind. And Jesus was greater than their religious customs, than their religious traditions. 
That's why they said Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses passed down to us. This is, these are all the reasons why they were so angry with Stephen's preaching. Of course, Stephen actually never did teach against Moses. He never taught against God. But his glorification and raising up of Jesus was twisted by these men to sound like blasphemy. Even though he didn't. He didn't ever blaspheme against the temple. But you know what he wouldn't do? He wouldn't make the temple an idol like these guys were. He wouldn't make it something that it wasn't. He was preaching the truth. And he had his words twisted and false accusations were brought against him. And brothers and sisters, the same is true for people sharing the gospel today. This still happens. Words get twisted. Lies are told. And we may not be fighting for our lives like Stephen, but we, we may be fighting for jobs, for relationships. But Stephen wasn't left out to dry. And we're going to see that really clearly in the next chapter. But I want us to look at verse 15. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now think about Stephen's situation here. Okay? He's been dragged forcibly dragged before a hostile and angry group of self-righteous religious elitists. Men who've already successfully sentenced Jesus to death and had a bunch of the apostles whipped. And the differences, I, I believe, are, are probably striking in their countenances. Right. So we see how Stephen is described. Consider how the, the faces of these men looked. They're angry. We find out at the end of chapter 7 that they, they really don't want to hear what Stephen has to say. That'll, that'll show us that they literally plug up their ears and run at him, grinding their teeth in anger. So that their, their faces must have been very different. In one group, you've got anger, resentment, hostility, defiance, maybe some smugness. And then on the face of Stephen, you've got the face of an angel. Now, if you weren't aware of angels in scripture, angels are not afraid. Why? If you read the accounts of interactions with angels, everyone who encounters these angels are afraid, right? Most of them fall down as if they're dead in fear, but the angels are not afraid. Why aren't angels afraid? Because they're just doing what God tells them to do, right? They're messengers. In fact, angel means messenger. But angels don't fear. They don't worry or cower. They just do what the Almighty God tells them to do. Think back to uh, the story of Jesus' birth with angel Gabriel and Zechariah. You guys remember Zechariah and Elizabeth? He comes, the angel meets him in the temple and he says, you're going to have a son. And Zechariah questions how it could be. And the angel Gabriel says, why are you questioning me? I come from the throne of God. And that's partly why Zechariah can't speak until John is born. Uh, the angel Gabriel didn't have to be like, well, let me go double check with God why I'm here. No, he didn't have, he didn't answer to, to Zechariah. He'd have to go double check. He knew what God sent him to do. There was no fear. There was no cowering. There was no question. And I think 
that's partially why Stephen is described with the faith, face of an angel here. Because I don't think there was hesitation. I don't think there was fear. I don't think there was doubt on Stephen's face. There was no doubt in his mind either of what he had been called to do. Remember, Jesus said in Luke 21, he said, you'll be dragged before councils and synagogues and these religious people. You'll be delivered up to them. But then what does he say? This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Now, I can't say for certain. I look forward to talking with Stephen one day. I can't say for certain if he knew he was going to die that day or not. But you don't catch, as we get into chapter 7, you don't catch even the slightest hint of hesitation in Stephen here. These religious leaders, they seized Stephen in anger. But Stephen seized the opportunity to bear witness to them of Christ. And he did it in love. Stephen shared with this council, really God's honest truth. You don't need to go to the temple anymore to meet with God. You must go to a person, his son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And in the next chapter, he'll say, whom you killed. For those listening who don't know Jesus personally this morning, you have to go to Jesus and no one else. A system of religious uh, checklists is not what the Bible calls us to. The gospel calls us to believe and love a person, Jesus. And he can save us. He can deliver us. In fact, this Christmas season, I hope you'll read those scriptures that tell us that's the reason he was born. To deliver his people from their sin. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13 Our kids in training grounds have recently memorized these verses. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God by believing and receiving Jesus Christ. That's how a person is saved. Not of their own will, but of God. Believe Jesus. Receive him today because he's calling. You know this about me. Um, I've done this a couple of times in our study in Acts so far. I like to point out the moments of divine irony that I find because I think God's got a good sense of humor. And there's some, something here that I, I just want to point out. What group held the majority of the seats on the Sanhedrin? Anybody remember? They were the ones who were sad all the time. The Sadducees, why were they sad all the time? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in spiritual, otherworldly things. They uh, did not. They only believed in what they could see and touch and feel. And yet this group, verse 15 tells us, every person on this group looks at Stephen and what the only thing that they can compare him to is what? An angel. I think that's funny. These guys who don't even believe it can only say, he he looks like an angel. His face resembles that of an angel. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. I think it means partially that he just, he had no fear in his eyes, in his face, in his countenance. 
Maybe this could mean to some degree like Moses when he came off Mount Sinai and he was so radiant and bright that the people out of conviction of their own sin, partially, they said, you got to wear a veil. We can't even look at you like this. Maybe that was something going on here, which would be even more ironic because they were saying that Stephen was preaching against Moses, right? I mentioned this before. Angel literally just means messenger. It means one who bears witness. This council has gotten it wrong a bunch of times already, but you know what? They got it right here. When they said Stephen had the the face of an angel, they actually got it right. Stephen would spend his final breaths carrying out the function of an angel. He would take this opportunity before this group of religious elite who were defying the gospel of Jesus, he would take this opportunity to do exactly what Jesus said to do. He'd bear witness. He'd witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. John Stott believes that Jesus or Stephen's face appearing like this was totally intentional. He says, in this way, God was showing that both Moses' ministry of the law and Stephen's interpretation of it had his approval. And this, this leads us to your last blank in your notes this morning. And is this truth? Kids listen to this. Adults listen to it too. When Christians speak the truth of the gospel of Jesus, they have God's approval too. Now, I don't know if people will look at us and say, man, they got the face of an angel. But, but when we proclaim the truth of God, when we proclaim the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ, we're carrying out the same function an angel would, were his messengers, were bearing witness to the truth. And because of that, and when we do that, we also have God's approval. Guys, believer, do not fear what men and women may say or do or think about you. When you suffer for the name of Jesus, you're not alone. I think of uh, the old hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. Remember that song? The fourth verse goes like this. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This day the noise of battle. The next, the victor's song. To him that overcometh, a crown of life shall be. He with the king of glory will reign eternally. Believer, if, if you're experiencing opposition, if you experience persecution because of Christ, it might just mean that you're actually doing something right. might just mean you're doing something that counts, that matters. So don't forget the, the third stanza of that same song. George Duffield says this, Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in, in His strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Where God calls you, he will give you strength. He will give you wisdom to be his witness and to reflect Jesus the same way that Stephen does. And so may we go and may we reflect that light that comes from him, the light of the world. Pray with me this morning.
Lord, we may not be experiencing the kind of persecution that Stephen is, maybe even the kind that other people in parts of the world are experiencing, but that doesn't mean that we can relax in the the command on us to share the gospel. And I, I feel that in my own heart sometimes, and I imagine my brothers and sisters do similarly in the fact that because we're not actively dealing with this day in and day out, it's not that big a deal, and we'd be wrong. Lord, I'm wrong to think that. That's what breeds laziness in our hearts, and so I pray that you would free us from that, deliver us from that, Lord. Maybe we can just confess to you this morning where we've been, lazy or indifferent. We hear those things said about Christians or about the Bible or about Jesus himself, and we don't think it's worth the fight to to get into it with someone. Lord, and there are times when we ought to keep our mouths shut. But Lord, probably more often than not, there are times that we need to engage those in our culture with truth. And so I pray that you would gird us up with this truth. The gospel armor, as the song says. That Lord, we would go out and we would not be ready for a fight, Lord. Not with people, but with the enemy for sure. And they would be ready to give a defense for the hope that we have within us. And that hope has a name. It's Jesus. And hope has come. Hope is here. And so I pray that you would grant us repentance and faith. Lord, where, where we disbelieve, Lord, help us. Increase our belief. Increase Jesus in our lives. Decrease us so that he is plainly seen. Lord, we thank you for Stephen, but we know that he did this not in his own strength, but in the power of the Spirit. And so we pray for the same. I pray for the same, for the saints here and in the churches, in our community and in our nation, in our world. Lord, that you'd make us bold with the gospel because it is the only message that leads to everlasting life with God, with you. So make us bold Make us winsome. Help us to, to, to treat people as made in your image because they are. And help us to share the truth out of love. Saturate us in that so it spills over into those around us. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen.